Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Colgrave Seabrook Foundation podcast in association with Hawk Week, the industry's leading trade title. This podcast is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, More People, the market leaders for professional recruitment across the UK and internationally. They specialise in horticulture, fresh produce, food, agriculture and garden and leisure sectors. For more information, please visit morepeople.co.uk. You can't look at what's already been done because that's been done, it's boring. You have to think creatively, artistically, what could be possible and then apply the science, how do we get there? I'm Neville Stein, one of the trustees of the Colgrave Seabrook Foundation. We know it's quite hard to find good information about horticultural careers, which is why we made this podcast. My guest today is Tim Curley, plant breeder for Curley & Co, and a previous recipient of a scholarship from the Colgrave Seabrook Foundation. I want to talk to Tim to find out about the role plant breeding plays in modern horticulture. So here's Tim. Tim, could you tell me, why is plant breeding such an important aspect of modern horticulture? That's an interesting question. Um, I guess there's a couple of reasons, really. Uh, the first is everything's always changing around us. So nothing's constant in life anywhere. In horticulture, the climate is changing. So we need to breed plants that will survive in the modern climate. Trends are always changing. You know, fashion's changing. So we need to develop plants that are on trends. And further down the chain from us, there are always new challenges coming up. So, you know, in the UK at the moment, growers are having to deal with the issue of growing in peat-free media. We have been breeding for decades plants that perform in peat media. So suddenly we've got to change the genetics to make sure we've got the varieties that will perform in the current conditions and make sure we still have varieties that people want in their garden. That's probably the main reason I would say why we need plant breeding. But then, of course, there's always room for improvement, isn't there? No technology stays the same. Plants shouldn't stay the same either. 
So you've sort of used some really interesting words. You've used horticultural terms, but you've used science terms as well. Do you see yourself as a scientist or a horticulturalist? I am partly horticulturalist, but I'm more of a scientist and more of an artist. Reading is a mixture of science and art. So at university, did you do a combination of science and art, if such a thing exists? Or what, what did you do at university? I did go down what you might call the classic route. I did do horticulture at Reading University. But actually, when I look back on reflection, if I had my time again, I'm not sure I would have done horticulture. Because actually, a lot of those things you can pick up, you learn on the job, or you can do from courses. I would have been much better off, I think, learning some more of the key skills, the transferable skills that can be applied in plant breeding, whether it's in science or art or business management or even legal or there's other sides of things. And that's probably a point I would make to people who want to come into the industry. Actually, you don't necessarily need to focus on a horticulture in your training, in your education. You can learn that later on. There are so many different job opportunities in horticulture that you don't actually need to be a plant geek to come into this industry. If you love plants or love working around plants, and let's be honest, who doesn't, you know, we need people who understand finance and people who understand how to manage business. We need people in legal. Uh, we need engineers. So these aren't people who understand a huge amount necessarily about the science of plants, but they've got skill sets they can use and we need in our industry. So, so many options in this industry. So I'm guessing that your job that you do on a day-to-day basis is pretty varied. Is that right? You're doing, I guess, you know, from what you're saying, it sounds like you do a bit of plant breeding, you do a bit of management, you do a bit of finance, you do a bit of people management. Talk to me about a typical day. Yeah, that's what actually one of the reasons I love my job so much. I have quite a short attention span. So the fact that I am doing so many different jobs through the day is brilliant for me. And I am breeding with so many different crops, so I don't have chance to get bored with a crop. Even today, I started off the day behind my computer, emails, things like that. Um, then I was in the greenhouse, I was selecting begonia seedlings. Then I had a break for an hour or so because um, Mr. Plant Geek, Michael Perry, turned up to have a look around our trials. I was showcasing our wares. Now I'm doing a podcast. Later on, I'm going to be out assessing trials. It's just so varied. That's what I enjoy so much about it. Interestingly enough, I had no intention of joining the business when it first set up. What did you want to do? I was going to be an engineer or a mechanic, something like that, yeah. Not a footballer? But what really... Not a footballer, no. I was told because of my size I should have been a jockey, but I never took up that career advice. The reason I got sucked in was because I helped out. Of course, you muck in, you get your hands dirty... One of the biggest factors that made me want to come into this industry was seeing the people that we were working with. We're just such an nice industry, such lovely people. Why not spend your career working with the nicest people around? And on top of that, I guess I caught the bug of the excitement of developing and finding new varieties. You know, nothing quite beats that buzz. So you've talked a little bit about your family business there, and clearly there was a route for you from university to sort of, you know, perhaps come into the family business. Um, for those people that, that aren't born into a family business, how easy is it for them to get into the plant breeding game? Well, I definitely had an advantage there that I did have that route in, but there is a desperate need for plant breeders in the UK. The challenge is getting 
what you might call a classic education in plant breeding in the UK. You can do it at university. It's more related to arable crops, perhaps, than it is to ornamental crops. Mm-hmm. But there is that route of going down a classic plant breeding course. But again, I would say that you don't actually need to have a really deep understanding of genetics to go into plant breeding. You need to have a good eye for what a nice plant is and you need to have a good eye for spotting patterns. But at least in the classic plant breeding that we're doing in ornamentals, in you know, in flowering plants still, you don't necessarily need to have a massive understanding of what's happening behind the scenes. You need to do something and then spot the pattern and then repeat it if you need to. So is attention to detail one of the skills that one might need to develop? Attention to detail and observation. Yeah, spotting what's different and what's happening. Tim, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that, you know, your job is a combination of science and art. I'm intrigued about this artistry element of the job. Tell us a little bit more what that looks like. Okay, yeah. Well, of course, the science is there because you need to work out how to make something happen. But it boils down to as simple as this. At the end of the day, a plant for your garden needs to be beautiful. You might have the most technically good variety in the marketplace, but if it's not pretty in our sector, there's no point of having it. You know, I was talking to another plant breeder, very experienced plant breeder from Holland, and he said when he came out of university, he had been taught classic plant breeding and everything's about statistics. And you score everything, you rate everything. So on his first days on the job, he went into the trial field and was doing all this statistical analysis about which varieties were the best on their trial field. And he came out with his top picks. Then he had some customer days and, you know, salesman days on that trial field. And the ones that people wanted to grow, the ones that people wanted to sell, have in their gardens, were completely different varieties to the ones that statistically were the best. And I think that sort of exemplifies that point that, yes, it's got to tick boxes and perform in a certain way. But at the end of the day, we have to step back and look at it and say, is this beautiful? But also... When we're thinking, trying to be creative and think about what different can we do with this crop, with these flower colours, you can't look at what's already been done because that's been done, it's boring. You have to think creatively, artistically, what could be possible and then apply the science, how do we get there? So you've mentioned that this is about you understanding and thinking about what does look beautiful, but how do you guard against the fact that you might think it's beautiful but the rest of the British population won't? (laughs) Yeah, that's always a tricky one. Uh, Well, for us, the way we do it is we throw open our trials to people from actually around the world because we trade with customers around the world, which is another great point in my job. We have ideas about what we think is beautiful, but then you ask other people to come and give their opinion, and that can really change your mind about what is beautiful. Friends and family come to visit us, get dragged out around the trials, and you point out to me which one you think you would like in your garden. And again, you get a lot of surprises. The challenge actually for us then, because we're at one end of the chain and consumers are at the other end of our chain, we have to sell the message all the way through the, to the buyers, to the growers, everybody else. You may not think this is a particularly pretty variety, but the consumers will love this. So it strikes me that your particular role as a plant breeder has that real international context to it. Has it enabled you to, you know, travel the world and go to some pretty interesting places? 
I have been able to travel the world. I've lived in America. I've lived in Holland. I've traveled across Europe, been to Costa Rica. I've seen most of the developed world, let's say, yeah. And we sell to most of the developed world. And that traveling has been around meeting other plant breeders, looking at plants. Is that right? It has been. And also getting training. So before I joined the family business, my father actually said to me, and he, he's, he's right, he said, you're not coming into this business to learn my old tricks. You're going to go elsewhere and learn some new ideas and then bring them into the business. So aside from going to university and doing my degree, um, I worked in the UK at a couple of locations. And this actually wasn't learning so much about plant breeding. This was learning more about other bits of our industry. So I had a good overall understanding of what we needed to breed for. So I did go to Holland and worked for a breeder in Holland. I lived in America for a year, learning about the American industry. But these days it is, yeah, meeting our customers around the world, viewing trial sites around the world, going to conferences, meeting other breeders and other bits of our industry and going to trade shows, yeah. But it is an international industry. We kicked off our conversation talking about the importance of plant breeding and you very much alluded to the fact that climate is changing and so we need to breed new types of plants, particularly, you know, if we think about perhaps the peat debate. How much of a driving force is sustainability, is climate change in trying to create new plants? Absolutely, it is vital. Everybody in the chain has to look at what they can do about sustainability and our job is to dive into the genetics and see how the genetics can help us with the sustainability. So we're looking at, you know, reduced water use, reduced fertilizer use, built in resistance to pests and diseases so we don't have to apply maybe some of the chemicals, um, water quality even, the substrates they're growing in. These are all things we have to look at, definitely, and see what we can do with the genetics to help with the challenge. Tim, you've talked about breeding a plant that requires less water. How do you go about doing that? There's two ways we can look at that. One is we can look at what species there are around the world looking for, for example, in Petunia, we'll look for some species maybe from South America where, of course, it's going to be hot and dry and whether they have genes that we can incorporate into sort of the classic modern red Petunia that we all know and recognise So that's kind of when you go a bit outlandish, a bit wild, and then try and bring it back to a normal plant. Or you're just doing it by gradual steps. So you might find your most low water requirement petunia and use that for breeding. And it's just a very gradual, over time, almost sort of an evolution change, just working with the best each time and gradually getting better. So there's two ways of achieving that. You've given a great understanding of what your job looks like on a day-to-day basis, and it seems incredibly varied. And from you know what you've been saying, you've had some wonderful experiences. If you could summarise all this, what has been your best day at work ever? Can you picture one? The days that really give me a boost are when we have our customers come to visit us and they get excited about what we're doing. You know, that gives you a real kick to keep going and to keep reading new things for them. It's really hard to pinpoint a single day, but I would say probably my proudest day was when I went to Chelsea Flower Show and presented to the judges the Power Daisy 
that I had bred. It was my first breeding project. It was the launch of that product. It was displayed at Chelsea Flower Show. I got the chance to go and speak to the judges about why it should be the Chelsea Plant of the Year. And we we didn't win, but we came in third place, which I thought was still a pretty good effort for a first try. So that was one of my favorite days. Uh, so the Power Daisy is actually it's a three-way interspecific cross, which means we took three different species of calendula and crossed them together. So we had two perennial species of calendula, which gave us toughness and disease resistance and less water use resilience. And then we took the annual species of calendula, which is really free flowering, flowers all year round, very colourful. And the combination of all three species has given us a plant that flowers from March to November. It's very drought tolerant in the ground. It doesn't get disease. The bees love it. It doesn't set much seed. So you don't get lots of calendulas growing up every year in your garden. It's just a great all-round plant, really. How long did it take you to get to that plant? So I actually started that project when I was still a student. I was living in Holland, training as a plant breeder, and one of the old seed guys in Holland back in the day, he had this wild calendula species growing in his garden. And that was the inspiration for the project. That was in 2005. So it's in two th- at the end of 2005, I started working on the project. And... The first variety was sold in 2015. So that was 10 years by my mass. Tim, it sounds like being a plant breeder is absolutely fantastic. You know, combination of artistry and science, you get to travel all over the world, the job's incredibly varied. Let's say it is for you. What's the first step someone could take to become a plant breeder? I would say I agree with you entirely, Neville. It's the best job in the world. If you are interested in becoming a plant breeder... I would ask you just to get in touch with me as a starting point and I'd be very happy to um, talk to you, even give you work experience and point you in the right direction. So have a look at our website, www.curly.co.uk. How do you spell the curly? Yeah, nobody knows how to spell curly. It's K-E-R-L-E-Y. And then drop me an email, tim at curly, K-E-R-L-E-Y, .co.uk and I'll be really pleased to talk to you. Excellent, Tim. I'm hoping you're going to get a flood of emails in. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for your generosity uh, being willing to talk to potential plant breeders. No problem. Looking forward to hearing the results from this uh, podcast and that you've been influential in setting off a few new people in the plant breeding career. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Neville, for giving me the chance to um, talk about my fabulous job. My thanks to Tim Curley, plant breeder at Curley's. If you'd like to take Tim up on his kind offer and get in touch, we'll put some details in the show notes. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. Or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.